0: Sparking Wholeness, and now get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and I haven't done a solo episode in a while, so I could have brought on a guest to discuss this topic, but it's a topic that's very meaningful to me, this whole issue of stress and what it is doing to our physical health and how we can learn to manage it. So before I share more, I want to set out with a disclaimer. This content is for informational purposes only. Every single person is unique. So please consult your healthcare professional for any questions related to your specific health concern. Many of us grew up being taught in school some kind of nutritional principle or food pyramid. We may have even participated in the presidential fitness programs. We were told to wash our hands to prevent germs from spreading, and we were taught to brush our teeth and floss. But there is a missing piece to the health puzzle that nobody taught us. Nobody taught us how to manage our stress. Now that burnout has been added as a diagnosis by the World Health Organization, I think that this topic must be addressed. Everyone is stressed right now, so much so that the word itself is becoming a cliche. We act like it's normal, acceptable, and something to be expected. I often hear comments like, well, if I could just quit my job, I wouldn't be so stressed. And sure, that may be true, we simply cannot avoid stress. We live in an instant response culture. Even if you aren't on the job working, you can easily access your work email from your phone. So the expectation is that we are available at any time, at any moment, on any day. When I've brought up the concept of managing stress to friends or acquaintances in casual conversation, people laugh or make a sarcastic response or look at me like I'm crazy. It is that foreign of a concept. So I can't give you a formula to cut out all stress. I can hopefully give you some guidance for how to manage your stress. The biggest problem to me is we don't realize what stress is doing to our physical health. So before I share how to manage stress, I want to dig into what happens in our bodies when we experience stress. So bear with me. I'm going to share maybe some new concepts. It might take you a little bit back to science class, but hang with me. I promise it's all going to come together. First off, when we are in a state of stress, stress hormone production ramps up. This includes cortisol, norepinephrine, and adrenaline. This isn't a problem in small doses. Norepinephrine and adrenaline are felt immediately. Adrenaline provides the energy and norepinephrine provides mental clarity, which we need. Cortisol production is a more gradual response and it involves a couple other minor hormones. It is intended to be a good tool to protect the body during times of hardship, famine, when a predator is encountered, etc. This is what we mean when we talk about the fight-or-flight response. When in fight-or-flight or freeze mode, digestion shuts down, immune system function is altered, reproductive function shuts down, because, I mean, really, there's no use reprodu- reproducing during an extreme famine or when a tiger is chasing you, right? Right? Glucose is also thrown into the bloodstream for energy, blood pressure goes up, and when the threat goes away, the body rebalances to its normal state. Here's the issue. Today, we are faced with physical and emotional stressors every single day. Some people have stored traumatic experiences in their bodies that have kept them in a perpetual state of fight or flight. Even if you haven't, you are most likely constantly faced with triggers for emotional and physical well being. Constantly. We work long hours at demanding jobs. We try to do it all. We live in a world where you can be a good mom and work and spend quality time with your kids and work out a mix of strength training and cardio, of course and eat healthy and meal prep and get eight hours of sleep at night while still being able to keep up with paying bills on time, debt, house cleaning, laundry, volunteering, date nights, and maybe if you're lucky, you can have some kind of adult friendships in there as well. I mean, I am stressed just listing all of that out. So these continual stressors add up over time. This affects our cortisol production. As cortisol is pumped out, it messes with digestion, reproductive health, blood pressure, immune function, fat storage, blood sugar, I mean, can you think of any current medical conditions that are linked to these issues? I know I can think of a ton. This also causes inflammatory cytokines to ramp up, and inflammation that is left unchecked is scary. But let's pause for a second on digestion. Because when digestion shuts down, it causes dysbiosis in the gut. When we have an overgrowth of bad bacteria, which is not good because now you'll have a problem producing neurotransmitters you need for mental wellness... 95% of serotonin is produced in the gut. So again, if anyone is still telling you that mental illness is all about the chemicals in your brain, they don't get the full picture. It's about the way the neurotransmitters actually make it to the brain or not, and that involves the gut and the vagus nerve, which connects the two of those. Studies show that an increase of bad gut bacteria can cause production of epinephrine and adrenaline. But when your gut is making good strains of bacteria, you will produce more serotonin and even more GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter. High levels of stress actually can permeate the gut lining and cause leaky gut. Leaky gut is a term that it's pretty detailed. I won't get into all of it now, but it causes bacteria and undigested food and endotoxins to move in the bloodstream where they never should be. So the process and the interconnectedness between stress, cortisol, inflammatory cytokines, the gut, and the brain is a super complicated process and I really don't want to explain it that much more because I'll lose you and you're going to turn this off and not want to listen anymore. It's also a little bit depressing, but okay, so here's what I want you to do because I'm a visual person and so I want you to visualize something with me. I want you to visualize a tree. This will help give you a better picture of where I'm going. On the tree's many branches are names of chronic conditions like IBS, heart disease, type two diabetes, anxiety, depression, sleep problems, weight gain, migraines, cognitive impairment, autoimmune conditions, mood disorders, asthma is another one. Basically everything that's on the rise right now in our country. Every branch bears the name of something that is affecting all of us and those we love. Now look at the trunk of the tree. On the trunk are the words leaky gut and inflammation, because we have a lot of new research telling us that these two problems contribute to those conditions I mentioned on the branches. Now, I know that there are many other contributing factors at play, like genetics and other predispositions that make our body stronger or weaker, but again, I'm trying to simplify this as much as I can. Now, gaze farther down below the trunk of the tree to the roots. At the roots are lifestyle factors. Stress, trauma, toxin exposure, possibly even food. We tend to spend a lot of time focusing on food, but in my opinion, and based on what I just shared, what I always say, a body in stress cannot properly digest. So what good does food do for healing inflammation or leaking gut if we're unable to digest it? That is probably going to be like the most blasphemous thing I've ever said as a nutrition coach. But if you are not managing your stress, you can't have a proper digestive response. You won't be able to utilize nutrients in your food, and you may not even be able to dispose of waste very well. Add to that a toxin overload in our cosmetic products, pesticides, cleaning products, environmental toxins, heavy metals and pharmaceuticals, and your body can't do what it's supposed to do very well at all. Remember, chronic stress will shut down all important processes in the body. That is why we have to stop being reactive about stress. We must get proactive. Now we get into the fun part. I want to give you practical ways that you can learn to manage your stress. No, you can't remove everything from your life that brings you stress, but you can do things to take your body out of constant state of fight or flight. The first thing, and this is the most important, in my opinion, is learn to meditate. Does that sound crazy and woo-woo to you? Well, too bad. There is a ton of scientific evidence pointing to how meditation can change your brain and it can change your stress response. It can even decrease inflammation. If you don't like the word meditate, use the phrase focused breathing or breath work. When you breathe in through your nose, long deep breaths, as opposed to mouth breathing, shallow breaths, it will activate your parasympathetic nervous system and send you into rest and digest mode. I love the four, seven, eight breathing method, which is breathe in for four seconds, hold it for seven seconds and breathe out for eight. The key is to make your out breath longer than your in breath. Sometimes I even think to myself something like, I'm breathing in gratitude, and breathing out worry or I'm breathing in grace and breathing out perfection you can do this in traffic before a big meal in bed when you're going to sleep or when you wake up another great breathing strategy is left nostril breathing hold your right nostril closed with your thumb as you breathe in through your left then cover the left nostril with your ring finger as you breathe out through your right now, I've never been a bath person, but I have recently found that Epsom salt baths to be soothing, and they are a great time to practice these breathing exercises as I also try to manage my stress. Because, y'all, I'm not sharing this and not doing it too. These are all things that I'm trying to practice myself. The second thing that is important in managing stress is scheduling time to do nothing. Now, this is harder for some of us, depending on our personalities. I'm a person who likes to fill up the schedule all day, every day. And then I crash because it's go, go, go all the time. But if I can schedule downtime and make an effort to use that downtime to not work, to not scroll social media on my phone, but find something else non-technology related that's calming for me then I am a much more productive and efficient person and parent, and I'm less bitter than in those rush, 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 busy times. I personally have always found that reading is great therapy for me. I love to get lost in a good fiction book, and I will actually schedule time on the weekends to read. Now, that idea might actually induce stress for somebody else, but there are a lot of people out there they like to color or paint or put on good music and cook like my husband does, which I am not opposed to, he can do that anytime. (laughs) The other thing that is huge is taking a technology or screen break. I have found recently that scrolling social media can be stressful for me. It can cause me to have an emotional response, whether I'm feeling annoyed, jealous, judgmental, sad, or even happy, it's up and down. It's also an election year, so we have that to factor in as well. (laughs) That being being said, it is okay to unfollow people who cause you unnecessary stress. I'm sure I've been unfollowed plenty of times because not everyone cares to see me brag about my kids and post about nutrition facts that I find fascinating. And that's okay. So don't feel bad about unfollowing things that stress you out or just getting off of social media completely and setting some boundaries for yourself. The next way to manage stress better is by learning to flex your no muscle. You probably heard me talk about this a lot on the podcast because it is so hard for me. I have a list of priorities and non-negotiable to-dos. If I'm asked to do something that doesn't fit into my list of priorities, I have to stop and evaluate. What would my stress level be if I added this on and if I said yes? But the more I practice saying no, the easier it is. So that's why I say it's a muscle. We got to work it out to actually be able to use it. Here's another thing that makes a huge impact on managing stress, bedtime routines. Do you go to bed early and get up the same time every day? Probably not, because I don't. (laughs) Things change, especially when you're a parent. There are so many variables at play. But striving to do this, trying this out, can be huge, especially for those of us with mental health concerns. I've heard some medical professionals refer to bipolar disorder as a circadian rhythm disorder. Some experts even go so far as to say, get to bed no longer than two hours after it gets dark outside, and then wake up again when it's light. The irony with the whole sleep discussion is that if you're under a lot of stress, it's actually going to be more difficult to go to sleep. So, make sleep a soothing and pleasant experience. Sometimes even the fact that we are dreading our thoughts and that insomnia and waking up in the middle of the night, just worrying about that is going to make it harder to go to sleep. Your body can follow your brain's cues in that way. So, If that means getting a sound machine, blackout blackout curtains, finding um, a meditation app that you can do some deep breathing exercises before bed, maybe you need a better mattress or sheets, do it. We spend a third of our day in bed. So it's a really, really important time to rest and restore. So have a bedtime routine, turn off electronics, put your phone in airplane mode if you can. I highly recommend blue light blocking glasses. Excessive blue light blocks melatonin production in our body and screens before bed can really mess up our sleep for that reason. I love my blue light blockers and I definitely notice a difference when I have been wearing them. It has helped me so much. So on the flip side of bedtime routine is some kind of morning routine. Too many of us start the day with our phones. so we start the day stressed out and annoyed or bothered, whether it's something you see on the news or it's a post that you disagree with, or it's an email that you received overnight that you're not happy with. So instead of doing that, reach for a journal and list five to 10 things you're grateful for. Pray, meditate, listen to calming music or worship songs, or read something positive. Just don't let Facebook be the first thing that you read in the morning. You're setting yourself up for annoyance. I mean, I can attest to this because that is what I always used to do in trying to put my phone away from my bed, turning it into airplane mode or whatever it is so that when I wake up in the morning and I reach for my Bible, I reach for um, a devotional book, I stop and I just breathe. It makes such a difference on the rest of my day. Another thing in managing stress that is important to be aware of is your exercise intensity. I know so many people are struggling just to get into a regular movement practice period, and that's a whole other topic. But sometimes too much of a good thing is just too much. If you're finding yourself continuously stressed, over fatigued, struggling to find energy to wake up in the morning and crashing midday, Your high intensity exercise may be too much for your current state. Sometimes it's good to cut back, maybe switch to light walking or something like yoga, which can also help put your body into rest and digest mode and it even decreases inflammation. For us women, this can also depend on where we are in our cycle. There have been many times I've shown up at the gym, ready to hit the treadmill for a long run, but I end up in the sauna listening to music that is soothing and practicing my breathing exercises. It is so important to slow down when you need to slow down and listen to your body. However, if you don't move your body at all, a little bit of movement, whether it's a walk or a dance party with your kids, may help you release some of that stress and benefit your sleep. So do something, enjoy movement. Involve yourself in joyful movement of some kind, but listen to your body. Don't push yourself too hard because that can often have the opposite effect, especially if you're already stressed out and trying to check the boxes with everything else in life. One other thing that helps to manage stress, this is so important, is having proper digestive practices. If you are chronically in fight or flight, it shuts down digestion. So pausing before a meal, maybe you say a prayer or maybe you do a, quick four, seven, eight breathing routine, it can tell your body to produce enzymes needed to digest food. Digestive enzymes decrease as we age, which is why so often we struggle with things like acid reflux later in life. A lot of times we attribute that to too much acidity when in fact the opposite is true. We don't have enough necessary to break down and digest our food. What you tell yourself about your food, what you think about your food, can make or break your digestion. If you're eating a cookie and you think, I shouldn't be eating this, I shouldn't be eating this, and this is going to make me fat or whatever, it's going to cause a stress response in your body and it will shut down your ability to digest and utilize any nutrients in that cookie. The placebo effect is widely studied and real. But so is the nocebo effect. If you think it's going to be bad for you and cause a negative reaction, guess what? It will. And your entire body is going to suffer for that. A huge part of the digestive process and managing stress is enjoying your meals with people you care about. And just like how a good bedtime routine is important, so is a pleasant meal routine and environment. At least once a day, try to sit down and eat with real people that you care about not scrolling your phone or watching TV. This can be coworkers who don't annoy you. It could be your family or a significant other. For some of us with little ones at home, mealtime can be hectic. When kids throw a mutiny at dinner, I have been there many times. My three-year-old currently, I joke, he is intermittent fasting because he just doesn't like to eat dinner ever, and then he wakes up first thing in the morning starving. But just trying to make eating an enjoyable time to build relationships and relax really will help support optimal health in your body. If you haven't dealt with trauma in your life, and we all have trauma, it might be time to go see a licensed counselor for talk therapy, EMDR, or neurofeedback. There are so many good resources out there for us to deal with these stuffed emotions. There is overwhelming evidence now that our bodies store the trauma we can't consciously process. We must deal with emotional triggers in our lives. I'm jumping ahead on this because I think I'm going to deal with this on a later episode, but I don't believe we have an obesity epidemic. I believe we have a toxin and stress epidemic and it is affecting the way we store fat. The last thing I'd suggest is to maybe look at supplementation. B vitamins are a great way to support adrenals. There are a wide variety of adaptogenic herbs being used right now. Magnesium can help calm the racing thoughts and decrease that anxiety. Omega-3s are beneficial for overall inflammation. There is no one size fits all with supplements, but most of us can benefit from supplementing what we aren't getting in our diet. And if you want to know more about eating for mental health, I do have an episode called Eating for Mental Wealth that is on this podcast. So scroll back, find it that might be helpful for you. So you may be listening to this and saying, all that sounds great and everything, Erin, but I just don't know where to start now, or here we go, it's too stressful listening to you and I don't have time to do any of that. Okay, you might be in a perpetual state of overwhelm, and many of us are, and I get that. But also, if you say you can't do any of these things, just that mindset alone tells me a lot about where you are and what's going on. You don't have to do everything. Start with one thing, like a bedtime routine or even a good morning routine if that's helpful for you. You know, one thing I recently added in for myself, I love being outside and I just don't do it enough. So I've been trying to add in spontaneous fun with my kids. So that might mean playing a quick game of basketball with my six-year-old, or I'm walking around the block with my three-year-old. Um, I even took a walk with my 15-year-old in the, in the park the other day. We were walking a dog and it was great. But allowing myself that spontaneity that doesn't necessarily fit my schedule has been really good for me and relationship building with my family. I'm getting sunlight, I'm getting movement, and I am purposely telling myself not to stress over it so i hope these tools are helpful for you i know that it's really hard when we talk about this this subject it's it's just a foreign concept but there are ways to nourish ourselves that go far beyond food and the more i study nutrition the more i study fitness and movement and all of the things that are out there the more i realize that there's a common denominator is that we are all a stressed people. And if we do not learn to manage our stress, it is going to affect us and generations to come in ways that I know that we really don't want. So I hope this benefits you and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.